0: John for our Christmas message, and I can just tell you that I've been a pastor for about nine years now, and one of the most difficult things for me to have to do, and you might have some really complex things if you were to answer that question for me, but is really during the Christmas season, how do I take the same story every year (laughs) and make it original? Uh, So it's a challenge because I don't steal messages, so I do pray and ask the Lord to help me to come up with something from maybe a different angle. And over the years, if you've been with us long enough, each Christmas, I've hit it from prophetic uh, standpoint, proving the existence of Christ through the prophecies prior to him even being born. We've hit it from the historical, the evangelistic, and also the scientific to the prove-it-to-me folks out there, which there are many these days. Quite frankly, this year, or 2013, I'm hoping the rapture comes so I don't have to do this again next Christmas. <laughs> but one thing I don't think that I have done, I'm going to do it this morning, is to really go in a chronological order through the Gospels. Okay? Luke had a perspective. Matthew had a perspective. John had a perspective. All the same perspective. But they put emphasis on different parts of Jesus' life. As a matter of fact, in John 21... John says that Jesus did so many things in this period of time that he says all the books of the world couldn't contain it. Imagine every day out there doing miracles and teaching, and so these guys had to write these biographies and just put in what they felt was was uh, you know inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course, uh, but it was it was again through each person's viewpoints through their own individual glasses. So this is what we're going to do this morning. And we're going to look at eight impediments or roadblocks to God getting his message of salvation to the world and how he overcame them. And at the end, make it a little bit more personable and just look at maybe some of the impediments or roadblocks in our lives and see what some of the answers to that would be. So the first impediment or roadblock is how how does God save a rebellious, evil-stricken world? I think that we can easily see as Americans in 2012 that there is evil in the world, there's evil in our country. And even with all the freedoms and all the choices that we have, it's still pervasive. Um, in prior to World War I, there was a, a mindset that the world was getting better and that Christians were going to change the world and make it palatable for the Lord to return until World War I hit and then World War II. So we can see that, you know, the, some of the philosophers say we're basically good, but the Bible says that we're basically sinners. Even for those of us that are covered under the blood of Christ, our sins are covered, but we still sin. Okay, we haven't escaped that being in these bodies of flesh. So I'm going to read in John one, starting with verse one, five verses. Now, this is pre-incarnate. This is before the babe in the manger. It says, In the beginning was the Word, or the logos, or Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So we see that Jesus Christ, right the, the Son, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Son had an incredible role even in creation. Sometimes we limit Jesus to his earthly ministry, but he had a greater role even before he came to the earth. In him was life. That's the only place we're going to find eternal life. Number one, he gave us life. You know, if you look through a study of um, you know, how the body decays when we die, and we're broken down by microbes and, and uh, scavengers if we're laid out in an open field, and it's kind of gross, but... Basically, our bodies go back into the ground to nurture the plants, to feed animals. As is this cycle of life, this ecological cycle. However, the same elements that are found in dirt are also found in our bodies. What's the difference? The difference is in Genesis that God took that dirt, he took that nitrogen, he took that oxygen, that carbon, that stuff that he made, and he, he blew a, a life-giving spirit into that, and so Adam was born. So number one, we have physical life, but then we die again and go back into the ground. Does it make sense? We all look for purpose in life. Well, what does it mean? I only have so much time on this earth. Well, Christ offers us something else. He offers us eternal life. So Because it doesn't make any sense. You, know, I, you go back thousands of years and so many generations before us, and what's the purpose to life where here's such a short amount of time? But in him, in Jesus, was the life. It says, and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. So even before the Lord Jesus came to the earth, the father, the son, the Holy Spirit, God knew that it wasn't going to be received because that light of God was shined into this dark world spiritually and still it wasn't comprehended. It wasn't understood. It was rejected. So should God have aborted, abandoned his plan, and started all over again and wiped us out? No, he loved us so much that even for the ones that would be saved, it was all worth it to send his son into this world. And this is even before the babe in the manger. So we see that the answer is the cross. The impediment is sin and rebelliousness, and the answer is the cross. We have to look past the commercialism, the surfeiting, the slogans of Christmas, because why did he come here in the first place? Now, Matthew 1 and Luke 3, we have some very long genealogies that I'm going to spare you from this morning. If you're a student of the Bible, it's very lengthy. We've covered them before. But let me just suffice to say that why the genealogies? To be quite honest with you, uh, I actually looked in online and such, and I don't think there's any Deprosimos except for my family in the United States. If you find some, let me know. Uh, but my bloodline isn't terribly important to me. I know we go back to Italy and, you know, the whole nine yards, but um, it doesn't mean much to me. However, in this culture, it meant everything. Actually, the genealogies, the, the bloodlines were kept in the temple under lock and key because they knew that the Messiah would come through those lines. That's why it's very important in the scripture that the genealogies are, are put here. You see, Joseph adopted Jesus legally. He wasn't his biological father. When Mary was with child of the Holy Spirit, he came together with her and he adopted that child, which meant that everything that Joseph had, Jesus was entitled to as his legal son. But there was one problem, and here's the second impediment. Joseph was the son of David, who was David, several kings, and then Jeconiah, who was very evil, and a curse was pronounced on his bloodline that no king would sit on his throne. And then we have Joseph, all right? So David, Solomon, Jeconiah, Joseph, and his people in between, that's an impediment. What do we do about that? The answer is Mary. The answer is in Genesis 3, that the seed of the woman would come forth, right? And there would be a great change that would occur because of that in Genesis 3. And Luke's gospel gives us the genealogy of Mary, his biological mother. Mary was also the daughter of David through a different son. Instead of Solomon, it was Nathan. And as we go through the bloodline, there's no Jeconiah, all the way down to Heli, which was Mary's father, thereby bypassing the curse that was put on that bloodline. Now, most people sitting here are like, I never knew that. <laughs> okay, uh, And, and this, is how incredible intricli- this is how incredibly intricate the Bible is. You know, I've been studying this book for almost 20 years and I still find new things about it. You know, it, it's so complex. It's so amazing, intricate. You know, God finds, he has all these impediments and he finds all the solutions to that. Now, if you would, please turn to Luke 1.5. <clears throat> this is how important Jesus is that... Jesus said, among those born of women, John the Baptist was the most important of all the prophets. Why? Because he was the forerunner to the Christ, to the Messiah. So this third impediment is the fact that John the Baptist needs to be born, but the problem is his parents are well advanced in years, and we'll see how he solves that problem. Luke 1.5. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this is before Jesus is even born. This is all going on because God had a lot of work to do. Right? He needed to prepare the way. He needed for as many people to hear and understand that message of salvation. So he used John the Baptist as this awesome prophet who prepared the way to open up and break down the fallow ground of the people's hearts so they could receive the implanted word, God's Word, and you can change them inside. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not be able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words which will be filled in their own time. We'll see later that God is merciful to Zacharias, but remember when we think of sins, murder, stealing, well, I'm not a murderer, so I'm okay. Some of the things that God finds most offensive is pride. And in this instance is unbelief. Now, this is an amazing thing. If you're in the temple in the building and you know, there's only one way in and behind the curtain, is the Holy of Holies, right, where the Ark of the Covenant is. And all of a sudden this angel appears at the altar or at the table of incense. Okay, so he, he tells him, this is what God is going to do. And now he starts to question it, Zacharias. He starts to say, well, you know, I'm not, well, how can this be? Now, here's a man who, who knew God. He was a spiritual man. He was advanced in years. He had those, that wisdom. So he should have known better. But the sin of disbelief is pretty bad. You know, God wants us to believe that he can do mighty things. I believe that he can still move mountains. It's up to his sovereign will to decide when he's going to do that. But we must believe that uh, there are no impediments or roadblock to God. He can do anything. Verse 21. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. And so it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. So the solution you know, as Pastor Mike goes through Genesis on Wednesday nights, we saw another couple who were advanced in age, didn't we? Abraham and Sarah, who were also well advanced in years, way past childbearing, and God says, you're going you're to have a son. And they didn't believe him at first, and they tried to do their own way to, to have her give birth before she was far too old. But God, even in her old age and his old age, gave them uh, a son. So we must believe God's promises, right? To believe Hebrews 11 says that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We're going to find through this that, you know, we we look at the Christmas miracle, but we're going to find that there's many miracles that surround Christmas. The whole scene, the whole preparation is surrounded by miracles. And I, what I find impressive is if you look at this, he even names, you know, the scriptures name political leaders, Herod, Certain times, certain uh, centuries, uh, certain bloodlines, Zacharias and Elizabeth, is their bloodline, what they did in the temple, his lot uh, fell to burn incense. So you see the incredible detail of what God says in his word. He says, prove me, prove me wrong to the skeptic. You go ahead and read this whole book and you, you still find something that's off here. Because this is just too complex for a bunch of people to sit around and make it up. Moving to Luke 126, the fourth impediment, Mary to conceive. Right? She's betrothed uh, to Joseph, and there was no sexual relations through that, that time period. Uh, she was a virgin, and God said, you're going to be pregnant. So here's that fourth impediment. We're going to read this from verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And I submit to you, he was probably one of the most busy angels in that time period. He was getting shuffled all over the place. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Now, do you get through all of this that when a person saw an angel, they kind of scared them a little bit or a lot of it? You know, we have these Renaissance pictures of you know, angels who are little chubby babies with ringlet hair and little wings and they look so cute. But the truth is angels are mighty creatures. They serve the living God. They do his bidding. So if all of a sudden one appeared out of that dimension into your dimension, you know, one uh, slew... 185,000 one angel of the enemy's armies and actually history reports that that army after that really didn't do much that that country so you know you can look at the bible and then go back to history and see that it confirms what the bible says so pretty impressive there so luke one and continuing in verse 30 then the angel said to her do not be afraid mary for you have found favor with god And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Yeshua, or Jesus. God is salvation. He will be great and will be called, he will be great and be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age and is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible." Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I love that in verse 37. For with God, nothing will be impossible. You know, when we look at our own lives, let's just not look at this Christmas miracle. Was God, you know, concerned for Mary and Joseph and all the people who were involved? Yes. He's also concerned with everybody in this room. Think about your personal issues, your personal roadblocks. Do you think that it's too big for God to handle it? As we go through this, was it, was, were the, these were big roadblocks. Do you think that God, if you really trust him and you really believe in him, can handle some of those roadblocks in your own life, even this morning? right? Continuing on. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, she was very excited, to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. I want to reference, I'm not going to go through the whole prayer of Mary. Actually, it's very intricate. Uh, Some of it's prophetic, some of it is a word of wisdom. There's, There's a lot in here, and we've covered it when we went through the Gospel of Luke. But I, I want to focus on a song that was written. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's very popular. It's called Mary, Did You Know? You're all familiar with that. I just want to read some of the, the lyrics. I won't sing it because I'll, I'll clear the place out. So I'll say it. Pastor Paul won't let me get on the worship team no matter how much I beg him. But. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. I want to read one line, how she starts off her prayer, Mary. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. It exalts him. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Do you know what that means? There's a lot of tradition that says that Mary was, you know, the Immaculate Conception was actually about Mary. And she was perfect and sinless. And she's up there with Christ. Not according to her own words, which all um, schisms of Christianity that follow the Bible, it's the same Bible. She said, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Only a sinner needs a Savior. And this is why I think God... Revered her he he loved her and he wanted to use her because she was humble She knew that she needed a savior too He often can't use the prideful and the arrogant because their own self-interests are in the way of God using them He's looking for uh, men and women who are humble who are willing vessels who are open right, who who realize their need for a savior. Those are the ones that he can use Continuing on Luke 157 It says, Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. Now, so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. And his mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have called him, or what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. The first thing he did, and he opened his mouth. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these things were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. The hand of the Lord was with him. We're going to move on to the fifth impediment or roadblock. Right? How are we going to convince Joseph now? So God is saying to Mary, you're going to be pregnant. I've never been with a man. This is how we're going to do it. Now we've got to convince Joseph. So we're going to move on to that one. Now, if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Starting with verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Remember, this is in chronological order, we're moving through this in time. You have to intersperse the different parts of the scripture. So that, and there's actually a, I have someone gave me a chronological Bible, I love it. Because sometimes there's a little bit we see in linear time. This is how we are as human beings. God sees everything at the same time. You know, we look at things as in a timeline. So chronology is is, is neat for us because it helps to put everything in perspective. So verse 18, it says, Okay, so Zacharias and Elizabeth are on board, <laughs> Mary's on board. Now verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. And he could have made her a public example. He could have humiliated her, but he chose not to. He really loved her, but his heart was broken because she was pregnant and he could not understand how, you know, there's only one way to to know that. All right. So it was a problem for him. So, you know, it's amazing about the scripture as we read it. This isn't some perfect fairy tale story. This is, this is average people like you and I who struggle in life, who stumble with faith, who maybe as believers, we generally try to do the right thing, but we fall at times. And this is why God, in this instance, needed to give people a little bit of push to get the show on the road. And sometimes he needs to give us a push too. But when you fall down, don't beat yourself up about it. Let the Lord pick you up and start all over again. Don't let Satan lie to you because you fall and say to you, you're useless. God can't use you. Let him pick you back up again. Let him dust you off And set you in motion. Verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. I find that this is the first time I'm I'm keen on the word afraid. Why would he be afraid? Okay, so maybe it was done the right way and now he figures it out. But don't be afraid. Why? Because they would have been made a public spectacle in that society. So now he's got to go through the difficult task of he's on board now, and he believes her, and he trusts her, and he marries her. And all the whispering starts in the community. Don't be afraid, Joseph. Have courage. This is the right thing to do. And she will bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord Through the prophets saying, referencing Isaiah 14, many centuries before, Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So I love about the prophets. Isaiah is writing this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What? Virgin? Are you sure, Lord? You just write it down, you know? A virgin will be with child. (laughs) The book of Peter tells us a lot of the prophets wrote stuff down and they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. didn't seem to make sense to them. But after a while, you know, when his whole plan of salvation was revealed, not only the angels but also the prophets rejoiced to see that fulfillment. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. When all else fails, use an angel. (laughs) The sixth impediment. How do we get the family that's grown up or lives in Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem? Because the prophet Micah said that this is where the child had to be born. So here's another impediment. How do we get them down there? If you would, turn with me to Luke 2, starting with verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Wow. I am just a prove-it-to-me guy. It took a while for me to, and and again, because it was a heart thing. It was a will issue. But I love that and I do this. I'm like, all right, let's see. Was Caesar Augustus, when did he rule from? Where was Quirinius? You know, the Bible gives all these facts so you can go check and make sure that everything lines up the way it's supposed to line up. When somebody puts forth, and there are some books out there that are fairy tales, there's no footnotes, there's no details, there's nothing in there that you can check. It's just one person's opinion. Here, historically, we can go and check this stuff out in history books and see if it's true. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city, and Joseph also went up from Galilee Out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them at the inn. What's the solution? use man's ways against him. You know, how do we get him to the city that he's from, to the bloodline? Well, they didn't have computers back then. So what they did was, again, this was very important. Bloodlines, genealogies, send everybody back to the place where they were originally from, where their families came from. You know, we're going to take a census. We're going to tax these people. And this is what happened. So Mary's pregnant. Probably a very uncomfortable travel from Galilee all the way down to Judea. And eventually, probably the the movement on the roadway didn't help it, and it was time for her to give birth, right? And this is what we have. Seventh impediment, which is really an answer to the first impediment, how to save the world. Let's continue in verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. The angels can't contain themselves. It's just so close. It's happening right before their eyes. All these prophecies like dominoes are being fulfilled. Boom, 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 boom. And the angels are excited because they serve God. Now, is there really peace and goodwill on earth? Is there really joy on earth? Well, this is, is really um, th- this is one of those explosive verses that have so much meaning to them. There was a near prophecy and there was a far prophecy. We know that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's in his timetable. We will see that right? as his people, as believers. We will see these things come to pass. However, there was also a fulfillment in that time period. And remember what I said a few Sundays ago. The world looks for peace through circumstances. If somebody's on my back bothering me, once they get off my back, I feel better. I'm at peace. They're not bothering me. If my life is absent of drama, I'm at peace. God's peace is different. With the person on your back and the drama, you can have peace through those storms. It's really a choice that we make. Every person in the world can have that peace. We can have that goodwill towards men. What does this season do? It brings out the worst of people, but it also brings out the best what are the tragedies that we see do? brings out the worst in humanity, but it also brings out the best. So it, it's really up to us whether we want to propagate these things or whether we want to shun them and just do what the world's doing. right? So this is what we have going on. God sent his only son. We continue. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass This was probably the worst time for anybody to become a believer because as Christianity started to grow, it became largely unpopular. The Christians wouldn't bow to the emperors and worship them as gods. You know, they, It was passive-resistant. True Christians didn't cause an uprising. They didn't try to overthrow Rome, but they were an annoyance to Rome, and they tried to wipe them out. And the more they tried to wipe them out, the more they started to, to flourish. I think Tertullian said that... Um, The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Okay? So what what did God do? He used witnesses. Witnesses were big in the Old Testament. He used the shepherds. Now remember, these were the lowliest of the low in that society, in that caste system. And then he used the upper echelon, but he used the lowliest of the low first. Now, not through his eyes, but through society's eyes. And usually the way society sees things, God sees them in the opposite way. So if you're down on yourself and you come from rough situations and you have a past, good news. God can use you. It's okay. Just trust him. The eighth and last impediment for Jerusalem and the other nations to know that the Messiah was going to arrive. We continue in Matthew 2, starting with verse 1. Let's go back to Matthew. Jesus is a little older now. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, this would have been Herod the Great. Um, We wouldn't consider him great, but this was, he was known as. He had several sons. That comes into play later. Behold, wise men from the east, or Magoi, came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, does this make any sense? Here comes the Messiah and the seat of religiosity, the seat of spirituality is troubled. They don't want this to happen. Why? Because they had made a business of religion. Often the complaint today as well. You know, often one of the hindrances of people coming to church because they see it as a business. Well, they didn't want him to grow up and to take their place that they worked so hard to get. What would they do? Swing a hammer after that? You have to think about the psychology of the people at the time. They didn't want this to happen. So the whole seat of spirituality was troubled by this. So they said to him, of course, they knew the scripture. In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, meaning Micah, fifth chapter, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, Bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. I submit to you retrograde motion for those of you that like astronomy. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And there was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. A reference to Hosea 11. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all of its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men, then was fulfilled, which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, "A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they were no more." And when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, "Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Egypt, or excuse me, Israel." for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there and being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. There's a lot going on here. I think that when we read this, now remember, when we go from one place to another, what do we do? We get the luggage, we get some food on the road, we pack up the minivan, or we go to the airport and we go. This was difficult for them to do this. So I submit to you, you know, when you become a believer and when you follow God, it's not always going to be easy. This was difficult for them to try to establish their life. They've got a young child, and they're just constantly moving around trying to avoid these situations. So if you're you know, really trusting the Lord and really on fire for the Lord and you're praying and you're having a difficult time, take heart. If you're doing things according to his will, you're in God's will. You're in God's will. A few things going on here. So you had the shepherds first. Now, the dignitaries of the world, the Magoi, the ones from the East, certainly weren't going to bring this back to their land and tell them uh, about what was going on. You had the uh, the spiritual system. Some of them, their hearts were softened. Many of them, their hearts were hardened. But he gave the message to them as well. Now, just about this whole star thing, I'm not going to go into it in, in great detail because I covered it. I believe it was two Christmases ago, maybe three. You can check it out. But <laughs> the, the universe is governed by laws that God set forth, okay? There was a, a period of time of 200 years that you can find this. You know, Galileo Galilei, Tycho Brahe, Isaac Newton, uh, Johannes Kepler, uh, Niklaus Copernicus, right? All these great brains came together and gave us. It was uh, a... <laughs> kepler johannes kepler gave us the three laws of planetary motion that basically said the rhythm of the universe and the trajectories and the ellipses follow a constant pattern so you know what you can do with that you can take today and you can get yourself one of them starry night programs and you can punch into the computer any time any year any day any hour right put yourself in the, the program allows you to put yourself at a certain part in the world and when you click go and some of you have seen this you click you know to do it all of a sudden on the computer screen you actually get to see what the universe looked like from your perspective how many of you have used that program or something similar to it very impressive very impressive why because Uh, Johannes Kepler gave us the three laws of planetary motion, telling us about how things revolve around each other. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Psalm 19, before the telescopes and before astronomy really was big, okay, Psalm 19 will tell us that the heavenly bodies rotate and revolve on a circuit. And don't think that the men of God over the years didn't see that and say, you know what, Let, let me check this out. These men also, when the Church of the Dark Ages were saying that we were in a geocentric model meaning that all the heavenly bodies revolve around the earth, these scientists were saying, no, that's wrong. It's because they weren't reading their Bibles. The church didn't allow the proliferation of Scripture. But the truth is that we live in a heliocentric model in our universe as our planets revolve around the sun, and it's provable. So anyway, bottom line, if you check out one of these programs and you put yourself in the east and you're looking towards Jerusalem, it'll actually show you some of the the word star is asteros, in the Greek, which could have mean any one of a heavenly body, there was some dancing going on in the universe. There was retrograde motion, and the star literally hovered over this place where Jesus was. Isn't that impressive? It's that's, that's really neat. I, I love science. I'm just a science guy. I love to take the stuff and go back and, and play with it. It's a lot of fun. But it's, I did more detail in, in the study back then. Let's make it personal. What is the roadblock or impediment to your life? What's overshadowing your day-to-day operations recently that's caused you to lack joy and peace? Because that joy and peace is available to you. Maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you're empty. Maybe all the stuff and the gifts and the relationships, it's just not cutting it. You keep throwing it down that void, that vacuum, and it's just an empty pit. And after Christmas, you're gonna feel the same way again. Maybe you're accomplished, but you're still striving for something, but you don't know what that something is. Maybe you've, dealt, you've been dealt hard things in your life and you're trying to put on a good facade and a good face, but you're dying inside. You're really struggling inside. Maybe you didn't know the reason for the season, but now you know. It's right in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, you. Everyone here, he so loved you. The, the only impediment for us to receive his love is oftentimes the person in the mirror. He so loved the world. And that world, cosmos, is not often used. It's mostly used in a negative uh, light about the world system, the rebellious world against God. But God so loved that world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That is the reason for the season. That is the reason why God sent his son here. That's the reason for the babe in the manger. God's desire is for every one of us to know the true meaning of Christmas. He's reached out. Are we going to reach back? That's a personal decision. He's such a gentleman. He's such a... uh, he courts us in a way that he's not forceful with us that's a turnoff in any relationship he puts his hand out he puts his gifts out he puts the things that he offers but we have to also reach back and for those of us that are getting that are saved that we wouldn't get caught up i caution those of us that are saved be careful of the materialism the commercialism of christmas Or worse, to try to turn the church or your life into an events-driven Christianity. You know, whether it's the lighting of a Christmas tree or even the live nativity, that should be the dessert. That should not replace Bible study, accountability, meeting together with brothers and sisters in prayer, lifting up one another. A church dies when it becomes an events-driven church. The word of God has to be at the crux, in the center of it. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll follow my word. He, you know, his word is so important. It's so important because it comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the heart of God. So the reason for the season, number one, is twofold. To save a lost and dying world from the penalties of sin and judgment. And number two, to keep Christ in our hearts. Do we yell and scream about keep Christ in Christmas, the reason for the season, but somehow we've lost the Christ in our own hearts? That we wouldn't be concerned that Christ is taken out of Christmas, that we would be concerned that Christ is starting to move away from our own hearts and Christmas just becomes another rote, ridiculous tradition. Christmas should be every day. It really should be. Thanksgiving, thank you to God, should be every day. It should be a a daily walk. Now, are we going to screw up? Of course we will. Of course we will. If you don't think I sin, you got another thing coming. But that we would affect those around us for Christ. That we would affect them for salvation. That we would be an attraction. That we would show the light of Christ to others. That they would be attracted to us because they see Jesus in us. And then once we get saved, to grow and to mature. So this process continues to happen. Uh, Oftentimes, there's a lot of comments made, whether it's the election or whether it's Christmas, and you've got these forces at work. A recent study I just read is that the United States now is close to 20% irreligious or un. Churched or un, Basically, 20% of the United States population is, is moving towards atheism or some types of uh, agnosticism. And that's actually up from the last few years. Now, is it for us to, to dig in our heels and, and put on the helmet and the pads and, and you know, do, do a Batman versus Bane kind of thing? No, no. We should be winning people through love because that 20% is going to continue to rise. It's going to continue to rise if we're not personally affecting others with our lives. If we're not personally affecting others for the gospel of salvation of Jesus Christ. So listen, I just want that to be out there. I just want I think it's important. You know, it's really great reading this stuff. It's really great getting excited about the, the season. But the truth is, is Christ still in our hearts? Let's pray.